What's up, everyone? Welcome to Through the Veil, episode number 22. On today's episode, I have Wiley Gray, who is the founding director of an organization called Veterans of War, which focuses specifically on helping veterans work through post-traumatic stress disorder and all of the different issues that seem to come when someone comes back from war through the use of psychedelics such as ayahuasca. This is a super, super impactful episode for me. I really, really appreciate what Wiley is doing because I think it's such a critical cause when you see the numbers of how many veterans are dying of things like suicide. It's pretty staggering, to be honest. So this is a pretty serious episode, but I hope you enjoy it and I hope you learn something new. If you do, share this out with a friend who you think could use some of this message and they can learn a little bit about this cause as well. As always, leaving a review on iTunes or leaving five stars gives us the best reach for the show and helps spread the word about it. And, as I said on my last episode, I have now finally released my website. So if you want to go get some more info or go get some more coaching programs or other things I have available, that is at www.throughtheveil.co. You can access all of my coaching there and all of my programs there. Much love, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Beautiful. Well, welcome to the podcast, and thank you for being on. Um, if you can kind of introduce yourself and give everyone a little bit of background about who you are, what you do, and kind of how you came to be where you are right now. Good afternoon. My name is Wiley Gray. I'm the founding director of Veterans of War. Um, Veterans of War is a 501c3 nonprofit that connects teams of veterans to guided ayahuasca, ayahuasca group therapy designed to heal the scars of war. Um, and basically what we are is a nonprofit that's offering safe and effective avenues to combat the actual trauma that veterans are dealing with. Um, and rather than um, provide a Band-Aid or, or um, promote a lifelong customer, we're trying to actually heal the root of the problem itself, which is the trauma that they've dealt, that mm -hmm. they've uh, undergone. Beautiful. I love that. That is a, both an important mission. I love the way you phrased it, not trying to put a Band-Aid on it, because I think that's what so often happens with people in general, but especially veterans. It's almost it. what I've seen at least, and maybe you can mirror this, but there's been a certain amount of, well, we'll push that skeleton into the closet. We won't think about it or look at it ever again. I think that the grim reality is that we lose 20 of our brothers and sisters in arms every single day. And the price of war is paid in blood on the streets of America every year with our tribe losing more veterans to a preventable outcome than we've lost in 19 years of continuous war. Yeah. Um, our response as a nation needs to change because what we've done up until this point simply isn't working. Absolutely. I think some of these tools are coming to light now that are really so transformative for a multitude of different issues, but especially for issues like PTSD and depression, they are absolutely transformative because they really, they really get to the root of some of the causes of these things. And they're not a, as you said, a Band-Aid. It's a true unearthing of what's going on. And the studies are starting to bear this out where you see people are just better after one, two, three treatments, it's like a switch was flipped. Well, it's one of those things that I find incredibly fascinating. Even just a few years ago, the research seemed to indicate that the brain was sort of a stationary object. And in that, um, you know, what you were born with was kind of what you were dealt. Meaning that like the model for um, actually research and, and application of medical technology was kind of like that old drug ad where it's like, this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs, where you could just ad lib in, this is your brain with PTSD, or this is your brain with insomnia or military sexual trauma. But what ends up happening is like the research is starting to um, show increasingly is that these traumatic memories and these traumatic events um, 
can be actually uh, reversed and in, in such a way that um, the memory that is created through this re-experience in, in ayahuasca, for example, has an updated significance. And even though like the, the mechanisms involved are still kind of debated, um, I think that the involvement of cellular and molecular events inside of your brain creating new neurons absolutely is something we should be studying more. Absolutely. I think the, the analogy, and I think it was perhaps Terrence McKenna that said this, it's that ayahuasca and some of these psychedelic compounds are like shaking up a snow globe and you allow the ruts that used to previously be carved so deep in your brain, you allow those to settle back as flat. And it, it gives people a chance to rewrite the way that they interact with the world. Because we, we're humans, we exist in all of these patterns and structures that we've built from traumas and things we've come across. And as we, as we drive those ruts deeper and deeper, it can be really, really hard to get out of those, especially people are telling you like, there's nothing we can do here. Take this for the rest of your life and hope you're okay. Yeah, and I think that there's a lot of money that can be made with that model. And I think that's why there's um, so much pushback to the legality of some of these substances in question. I, I, I think it's um, an absurd idea that over the course of human um, and cultural evolution spanning thousands of years, that we as a species wouldn't have come up with safe and effective means to navigate these, these you know, pretty basic forms of trauma that would come about in mm. war or, or, or the clashes of civilizations that have been endemic to our society uh, since society was a word. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit and we can kind of circle back around here, but let's talk a little bit about your story and how, what has been your experience and how have you gotten now to where you're, wor you're working and directing this nonprofit and you have become so involved with this issue specifically? Like what was the road to get you to there? There were um, a few real catalysts in my life um, that got me towards um, really reevaluating the models that we are told to accept as veterans. And, and one of the things was, you know, since 2008 forward, when I got out of the Marines, um, I approached the VA in good faith. Uh, I, I did their programs. I tried to do group therapy. I tried to do um, individual therapy. I, I took the handfuls of pills that I was offered. And increasingly the story around me um, in the veteran circles that I was part of was one where these SSRIs were having perhaps fatal um, interactions with some of the sleeping medication that was being offered as well at the same time with very little understanding of how any of it was working um, in a perhaps damaged brain. So um, one of the things that the VA was telling me was that my um, PTSD um, was chronic and that there was nothing I could really do about it. I just had to learn to live with this new reality. And I simply didn't accept it. Um, ultimately, it took um, a miscarriage in my family um, before, I guess, the gloves came off. And... Um, up until that point, I'd kind of had this understanding, you know, with God, I'd been all over the planet. I'd been in some dangerous situations, but I'd been fairly fortunate. And I'd always had this understanding that um, no matter what happens, you know, as long as, um, you know, he protects my family, I, I can handle it, you know, whatever yeah. he throws my way. And so when we uh, lost our kid, mm. um, it hit me in a really dark way. And... Um, in desperation and uh, feeling like the full force of that grief and trauma coupled with the mounting insomnia I'd been feeling for mm. about eight years at that point. Um, I took a crazy mission by myself to go to the jungle in Peru. And um, it was in this dangerous and dark place that I found access to this incredibly beautiful and connecting energy. Um, and it made me remember some of the reasons that I experienced the trauma that I had in the first place, um, which was to understand it 
uh, in others and to try to alleviate it and try to, you know, in some ways bring this much needed connector medicine out of the jungle and uh, shed a light on it. And it's due to that first series of experiences that I created the um, curriculum for Veterans of War, the fellowship program itself, um, which ultimately has four pillars. And the idea is to um, prepare and to educate the, the group, the fire team members, and then to provide support um, in the long term um, and ultimately help them integrate. So integration and support being the final two pillars. Beautiful. Yeah, I think what sticks out to me about your story, and it's it's mirrored in a lot of stories that I've personally heard from people that I've interacted with who take the leap to go do Aya for the first time, is that it, a really deep and dark for you catalyst has to happen almost to push you to the edge where it's almost like the feeling is like, fuck it, I'll go try this thing and I'll see if it works. It's why everyone that reaches out to me does. It's, mm. it's literally desperation. And I tell you, um, it comes down to in the end, uh, that 20 veterans a day. Um, I mean, you unpack that, that's 600 a month. Right. That's, that's 7,200 a year. Right. And uh, the clock is ticking. And the, I think the real travesty is that it's the year 2020 and I have to pretend like this is some sort of a new revelation right. um, that this uh, exists and it's been in coexisting alongside humanity for millennia. Um, and I think that um, ultimately, I, I think that um, just because something is stamped by Bayer or Pfizer, that doesn't grant it some sort of um, validity that these ancient medicines certainly need to finally be seen as. Absolutely. And I think a part of what your mission specifically, and just the mission of bringing knowledge to people is so important for is I think that whatever unique combination of circumstances in your life and your past history caused you to have the info about ayahuasca where you're like, fuck it, I'll try this. There's just as many people who don't have that info. And it part of the mission that's so important to me and why I have this podcast and why I talk about psychedelics so openly is I want that person who may not even be at that fuck it point yet to know about these tools. Because then we can actually not only shift the people who are on the verge of suicide or on the verge of doing something wild, but we can also shift the people who are maybe two steps away from there and they're headed down that path. And it's all, it's education. Because if you know about the tool, you know how safe it is, you know how effective it is, then it's a totally different ball game versus just like in whispers you hear about it. Yeah, I mean, I think that the education portion is is huge. And I mean, you speak again, Alex, to like the, the entire mission, which um, ultimately is, is to educate and prepare these veterans for a journey um, that helps them find their inner warrior, that helps them reconnect again. Um, but ultimately, that helps them find some relief because I, I think that um, they just want to come home. And I think that this has that, that actual unique path offered. Absolutely. It, it's a feeling I hear mirrored often. It's certain, certainly a feeling I had when I went to do ayahuasca was that, I don't know, I felt, I felt like I was home. And I had this overwhelming feeling of like weight taken off my shoulders and just peace for a little while and just an ability to, it, it's almost as if, and you tell me if I'm wrong here, but it's almost as if, if someone goes off to war and they come back different, it's not that the things at home are necessarily that different. It's that they have had new set points put into their brain that causes them to view the world a different way. And often all that needs to be done is a resetting of that so that they can see what was always around them. Maybe it's their beautiful family. Maybe it's their friends that they love. Maybe it's a job that they really are excited about. But when you're caught up in rumination, it can be impossible to see that. You're just like, you're not seeing the same, you're not seeing what's actually there. 
Yeah, so in PTSD, what the current understanding is like the brain fails to appropriately consolidate and integrate episodic memories into mm. your semantic memory system. Mm. So the memory and its associated emotions become, for lack of a better word, trapped mm. in your hippocampus. So that whenever that memory is triggered or is recalled, it's as if that person is reliving that experience completely again. Yeah. So the resulting hyperarousal leads many people to think that um, that's where the maladaptive coping mechanisms, such as like substance abuse and um, uh, intense negative stimulations come from. And so from a psychotherapy standpoint, ayahuasca is similar to a kind of exposure therapy mm -hmm. um, because it utilizes intention setting and uh, the users uh, or the participants with trauma have the opportunity to actually reprogram their memories. Yeah. Yeah, I think what, what stuck out to me in a paper I was reading was that it, ayahuasca, psilocybin, LSD potentially, but that's less known, um, have this ability, so to my understanding, and again, correct me if I'm wrong on any of this stuff, I'm very open to, I like to learn, but to my understanding, a part of what's happening is your brain is, it's rerunning this trauma because it feels as if it hasn't been solved yet because it hasn't, as you said, consolidated what happened with the normal world you now live in. And eventually what it typically does is it represses the memory that it can't mm. solve. If it yeah. can't come to a conclusion, uh, you're kind of programmed to keep moving forward. Right. And um, that causes all sorts of manifestations. Yeah, not repression itself. And PTSD, as as a term, is a catch-all for incredibly an incredibly large number of you know psych uh, psych, I guess maladies of the psyche. Right. Um, specifically, insomnia, hyperarousal, uh, increased fight or flight response, um, uh, anger problems, problems storing memories, problems creating new memories. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on. And it's all just covered in this umbrella of PTSD. Well, here's a pill that does everything. Right. Um, as which, if. <laughs> which it clearly doesn't. Um, and then typically they don't even understand how the pill is, is actually working in the brain itself on a chemical level. Right. I think one thing that always, so I did a podcast with my friend, Dr. Kave Kavusi, and he's a, a Toronto-based ER doctor. He's on the front lines of the whole coronavirus thing right now. So much love to him where he's at, but he, he also has dove very, dove very deep into internal family systems as a psychological framework, if you will. Interesting. One, one thing they talk about a lot in internal family systems is we have firefighters and firefighters are our coping mechanisms. They're the things that arrive when the sensitive or traumatic memory comes up and whether that's drinking or eating or being angry or going to work harder. These are the firefighters that come to extinguish the negative emotion that hasn't been processed. So it's no wonder that when these emotions, and especially like the stronger the emotion, the bigger the firefighter has to be to take it out or to temporarily extinguish it. So when these emotions are just being put a band-aid on through these normal let's call them Western medicine drugs, then mm -hmm. they're never getting processed. And the firefighters become increasingly more intense and more severe. And we see this with addiction. We see this with suicide. It's There's a lot of working. parallels. The, the damage to the brain seems to be um, fairly, uh, fairly similar across the mm -hmm. realm in terms of uh, an increase of inflammation across all hemispheres. Mm -hmm. Um, and an irregularity in the way the hippocampus is actually processing. Um, and that's why I think ayahuasca and, and other entheogens, clearly right now there's a, a reemergence in the United States, um, specifically in regards to psilocybin and MDMA, which are uh, currently in their, I believe, their uh, phase three trials. Yeah. Yep. Um, we, we clearly are seeing that there's a lot of benefits to entheogens. And, and I think that um, ayahuasca itself, um, because of the way that it, it activates and hyperactivates these traumatic memories uh, and these emotional memory-related centers, uh, it's been shown that it enhances synaptic plasticity, it increases mm. neurogenesis, it boosts dopamine transmission, which actually produces fear extinction. 
So subsequently, the memory itself is stored with updated significance. And I think that this is like, again, a really ridiculous sort of situation that we're, that we're speaking of in that um, up until now, the science had sort of seemed to point at this being impossible. But the reality is, is that our connections to these plant-based medicines go back um, to literally the beginnings of culture. Right. And um, I, I think that they absolutely bear targeted research and yeah. application. 100% agree. I think what's, what's so perhaps naive of us in modern culture is to dismiss this, let's call it ancient wisdom, but not only dismiss it, but to assume that people would have taken these compounds for millennia if they were as harmful as they've been made out to be. Like, there wouldn't be ongoing traditions of taking ayahuasca in Peru that have lasted thousands of years if it had these huge downsides that we originally were sold that like you'll go crazy it's not the case because people wouldn't willingly subject themselves to that so i think it's such a it's a narrow view we have taken specifically in the us but that has kind of spilled over into other cultures throughout the world and really, really happy to see this research coming out because it's, look, even if there are downsides to these compounds, which it doesn't seem like there are a lot of them, but even if there are downsides, I'd much rather know what those downsides are for sure with science rather than just assume that they're terrible and never look at them. It, it is literally ridiculous that to even have access to this medicine, I have to travel to another continent. Mm. And we call ourselves the land of the home are the land of the free and the home of the brave. Right. And yet we don't have autonomy over our own physical bodies mm -hmm. or, or our own chemical facilities. And it seems to me that it's incredibly, I think, um, I think it's hypocritical to say that we're free when we don't have freedom over our own bodies, right. to put it bluntly. Agreed. And it, it seems crazy to me that there's something here that could save lives I was recently um, giving testimony uh, in Washington, D.C. for mm -hmm. as part of the decriminalization of nature movement yeah, yep. uh, that's sweeping the United States. And one of the fellow submitters um, brought up a really interesting anecdote to me, I thought. Um, they said, you know, homelessness is rampant here in Washington, D.C., and it, it definitely is. And it honestly, it's a big problem in the veteran community, too. Um, you know, a lot of these traumas manifest themselves in an inability to create the social structures necessary to um, not just, you know, be able to produce yourself economically, um, but, but clearly the, the family structures are also uh, taking a toll. Um, so anyway, um, you know, there could be a homeless person sitting on uh, one of these benches and underneath that homeless person could literally be growing the cure in the second that they mm. reach down to pick it, they would go to jail. Right. And that doesn't seem to me to be a free society. No, I agree. And I have a, a personal anecdote about pretty much that, that really, I think, I think for a lot of people, they need to, things need to be concrete and in, in front of them before they take them seriously. And this was a wake up call for me, but in my, previous life, let's say, as a production manager of a small manufacturing company, I had a bunch of employees that worked under me and I would take care of day-to-day -day tasks. I had one guy come in for an interview and he was a veteran and he interviewed super well. And just like, I was like, so excited to have this guy on my team. This is amazing. Had him on the team. A few, few weeks passed and he missed like a day a week, every week. And I'm just like, fuck, all right, well, this kind of sucks. A little bit more time passed and he was just like gone for a whole week. I'm just like, oh my God, all right. So at this point, I'm like trying to work with him, trying to figure out what we can do. And he finally comes out back after being gone for the whole week. And like he, he had this list because he had been to his doctor and been getting his medications adjusted. And he had this list and it was 16, 17 items long of different meds that he was on currently at that moment. And I couldn't help but just internally scream out because I'm just like, I knew about psychedelics at this point. I'm just like, these fucking compounds are out there that could help you, but you're on this cocktail of 16 or 17 different things. And it's, 
it's causing you to be unable to work. Like you can't show up because you're having a panic attack at home. And like, as understanding as any employer may be, there's a certain point where they have to go, well, fuck, I mean, if you can't be here at all, then I don't know. Are we invested in the cure or are we invested in the placebo or are we invested in the band-aid company? Right. Um, And and ultimately as a society, it seems like we're invested in the band-aid company repeatedly over the interest of the common man, because I think ultimately that what these medicines speak to is, is a, a safe and effective approach to curing trauma. I speak to veterans because that's my tribe. That's where I come from. Um, and I, I think that I intimately understand the struggles they've gone through because I, I've suffered alongside them hmm. in many respects. But trauma is a part of the human condition. Yeah. Um, trauma doesn't know an age, an ethnicity, a gender, or, or a social or a political structure. Uh, trauma is part of being human. And uh, again, I, th- I think that um, there's tremendous application to palliative care to, to women that are um, suffering from postpartum depression, um, to cancer patients, um, but absolutely to veterans. And, and, I, and I think that entheogens and, and compounds like them that are naturally occurring um, it is our right, and, and more than that, it, it's literally our birthright as humans to have access to these absolutely essential compounds to change the perception of, of how we are connected um, and how important it is to, to remain here in the fight. I think such an important part that you touched on earlier and just touched on again there, too, is the these traumas that people experience don't they don't discriminate it's not as if only the people who can afford to go down to peru for ayahuasca have trauma there are so many people veterans non-veterans who are walking around with untold pain and untold trauma but the way that manifests them is that they have no financial ability to go take this huge trip down to peru even if it would help and it one of the things that's just difficult to grapple with is like hey if we're americans and we want this country to be the best it could be don't we want the people in it to be the best they could be and if so why are we making these things so inaccessible that someone has to spend three thousand dollars to get a round trip flight out of the country to go take this thing somewhere else and then come back here and talk about it but not everyone's going to have access to it so it's it's such a that is why veterans of war exists to Mm -hmm. create those programs um there is an absolute need for guided ayahuasca group therapy um and we see that need and we've created fellowships that support the process of growth through um, the use of, of guided psychedelic therapy. And ultimately, um, as I said earlier, I think it's more than just the veteran community that needs this. I think that, you know, we're, we're experiencing um, more than just a pandemic right now, but there's concurrently a mental health crisis um, in the United States, and it does disproportionately affect the veteran, but, but it is a crisis that has... Um, solutions and those solutions are as old as time itself yeah and it it sticks out like a sore thumb when you look at some of the literature especially the anthropological literature about the prevalence of mental illnesses in indigenous tribes and indigenous peoples and their happiness index it's like night and day it's like okay well fuck (laughs) what are they doing right that we're not doing right because they're doing something if we have this all-time the high level of these connected. other things. Yeah. I mean, that's the ultimate answer. It's, it's an easy and simple mm-hmm. answer. Um, you know, you work with these compounds a few times and you realize there's really that, that, that yin and yang, that energy manifestation of, of push and pull, of love, of fear, um, that that exists. And you decide actively which side you're going to be a part of. And so ultimately, you know, I have these two hands. I have this energy of, got this amazing team that's coming together um, and they give me energy as well. And and ultimately what we're trying to do is provide long-term solutions um, to support people that are trying to heal, that are trying to come home. Um, And I think that's incredibly important. Absolutely. And I think it, it spills over the more healed people there are, 
the less trauma gets created. And it has this ripple effect that we don't always give credence to. But, you know, speaking for myself, before I started to do some of this inner work, my different traumas were playing themselves out in a number of negative behaviors. Drinking was the big one for me. Um, And it's just as easy to imagine if I had never found these compounds that I would have gone 30 years down that road, had a kid, not taking good care of the kid, and so it goes on. When we take this pattern interrupt that psychedelics can be, it not only fixes some of what's inside of us, but it also spills over to everyone we interact with. I mean, we absolutely believe that. I absolutely believe that personally. I think that um, each of these souls that we help find a real path to repairing themselves um, too. I think that that obviously is going to spill into their families and their families are the bedrocks of, of their communities. And those communities are, are all strung together and we call that our society. Mm. Um, and, and ultimately I, I see them as seeds of consciousness. I see them as um, finally getting some support in a hard time um, by other people that understand how dark things can get and that ultimately are there to help them realize that the tools for healing were there all along. Beautifully said. So what do you think are some of the biggest roadblocks right now that you're maybe personally running into or that you see on a larger scale that are preventing the forward progress of these entheogens becoming publicly available? Well, clearly I think that stigma plays an important role. Um, it would be incredibly hard to have a conversation about psychedelics in any meaningful way that didn't address the stigma involved. Mm. That's been a part of this culture and and a lack of academic research for uh, up to, I guess, two generations. There was a lot of research that was done early on in um, the 50s and 60s and and a little bit before, Um, but it stopped almost outright. And if you were a scientist that was trying to pursue these fields, you were a laughingstock and you were shunned and you, and the money simply wasn't there to be able to do it. So I think that that attitudes are changing, um, but the stigma is a, a huge part, um, a huge part of, of working with it. Um, and then the other roadblock is the uh, legality. Um, there clearly have been organizations um, such as Santo Daime that have sued Um, in 1996 uh, Mm -hmm. under the Freedom of Religion Act to have access to ayahuasca and ayahuasca ceremonies themselves. Um, And there are a few organizations that are working specifically um, out in the open that are in kind of a gray area. Um, Veterans of War, we we take our um, participants Mm -hmm. to Iquitos, Peru, where it's not only illegal um, ceremonial use, but more it's something that's revered by the culture itself and that is living as it has always um, um, with the society that it's a part of. So um, we kind of just outright don't get into that fight, but publicly we absolutely support entheogenic plants and fungi um, and their guided use. You think the stigma is such a big thing. I'm, I'm lucky in a way that I have hippie parents. So the first time I talk to them about psychedelics, they're like, oh yeah, yep, love them. But for so many people, it's not the case. And they try to have these conversations and, and it's getting better. So I'm cautiously encouraged. However, for most people, if you try to have a conversation about entheogenic compounds in general, they just, they only know bad things and they've heard from a friend of a friend of a friend that someone went crazy and this bad thing happened and the information's just not not quite hit the mainstream yet that's the framework of of telling the story is is always incredibly important and i think that we're at a really interesting and, and pivotal time in history where um groups that it's hard to argue with the results that are coming from mm-hmm. um are leading the fight and and veterans are clearly part of that. I I think that we have a a resilience and a a sort of story that um, lends itself to changing this overwhelming narrative. 
Um, and I think that's to the benefit of all, honestly. I, I think what also is sort of ridiculous is that what is essentially tea, um, ayahuasca is, is literally a, a vine mm. and, and some, um, some green leaves that are boiled in water. That's the extent of it. It could cost right. 10 cents. Um, instead, it is something that costs thousands of dollars in a dangerous, needlessly dangerous trip into the Amazon mm. rainforest to acquire. Um, these things need to change, clearly. Yeah, I think it, it, it's always been a funny dichotomy to me, like where society has drawn a line. Like, okay, coffee's a bean and it's a drug. It has a very strong effect. Right. So why is, daily. Yeah, exactly. So why right. is that just fine? But this other arbitrary compound over here has had a line drawn through it. Like, can't do that. Well, I, I think it comes down to, again, that idea that, you know, anything that promotes active states of consciousness um, seems to be getting a pass. But um, what I'm looking for more, especially for the, the veterans that I represent, is something that represents uh, an honest path towards overcoming trauma and repairing it and reconnecting. So let's talk a little bit about your process and sort of, let's say I'm brand new, I am a veteran, just came back and I come into your program. Sort of what are the first steps that someone goes through? And so the fellowship itself is six months. Um, the veteran would be immediately paired with um, not just the other participants for that cohort. So another three veteran participants, but also myself and um, the coaching staff that we have working for us. And the next two months would have um, biweekly classes for everyone involved where the unit itself would focus on um, education and preparation for the upcoming workshop that would, that would come afterwards. Um, and then the entire unit would meet in Iquitos, Peru, where we would have uh, a workshop designated. Um, and during that workshop, the participants would have four opportunities to take ayahuasca in a safe and protected setting. Um, and then afterwards, the fellowship would continue for an additional four months as the veterans return to their home of record, homes of record. And um, the next four months, the biweekly meetings would be composed of um, tools to both support their long-term growth and, and integration. And the idea being that even upon the completion of this um, fellowship itself, that we remain connected through these shared experiences so that we can support each other in perpetuity. What I, I want that. is a, is a real solid support structure um, that self-reinforces. Yeah, I love that. I think it's, it's something I hear mirrored back to me and just about everyone I talk to that has gone and done a big psychedelic experience is they go, I came home and I had no one to talk to about it. Exactly. I couldn't tell my family. I couldn't tell my friends. They would think I was crazy. Even if they had the most life-changing, beautiful experience that was like so positive and so magical, they can't open up to people about it. And it, it really harms the integration because you don't get a chance to work through all the different pieces of what your experience was. So I think it's really beautiful that you have that yeah, instilled. And, and that's actually, again, if you look at it, that's the longest portion, like the, the preparation and the education is, is only two months that that's just to get you in the right place so that the workshop and keep in mind, we don't call it a, a retreat. I think words are incredibly important. No, we're not retreating from anything. This is a fire team and there's work to be done. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's a workshop. So after the, the workshop itself, that's really, I think that's when the the opportunity for growth happens i think that ayahuasca itself and entheogens of, of its ilk are, are uh, amazing diagnostic tools um and it's going to show you what you're doing wrong and what you could do to be better but ultimately it just shows you the way it's up to you to do the work mm -hmm. um and 
I think that the, the veteran community is, is particularly resilient to that idea of we're coming in here as a team and we've got work to do. Let's accomplish the mission. Hmm. Um, and it's really, uh, I think, a self-fulfilling kind of thing that the mission happens to be let's retrieve your souls. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's make you whole again. Yeah. Um, and um, I wish that the coronavirus hasn't left us in such a position where it's impossible, obviously, to travel. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does, again, bring, again, the very real need um, to understand that, you know, these traumas are temporary. There's hope beyond it. Um, so if you're a person that's suffering, um, that's tried it all, um, look into entheogens. And if you're a veteran specifically, look at veterans of war. Um, we're a nonprofit. We don't even pay ourselves a nickel. Uh, we're in this cause we love it. Um, and I want to have the opportunity to help you find real healing. Love that. So let's talk about the positive side of things. I think often people, they, maybe mischaracterize or maybe they just don't have clarity on some of this real success stories. I've shared mine on the podcast many times, but sort of what are some of the things you've seen where you're just like, Oh my God, that was magical. Like, I can't believe that this person went from a to B it's a miracle uh, for lack of a better word, a miracle. Our um, vice president of communications uh, is named Joel Harrop and he's a former um, Australian army officer. Um, and he deployed to the Middle East, um, a couple of times and, um, I'm, it's not my story to tell, but, um, ultimately he had a fairly, um, outrageous attack happen to him while he was in the barracks and, um, he was sexually abused and it triggered like this crazy downward spiral in his life. Um, where ultimately he found himself literally homeless um, and addicted to methamphetamines. And if you met Joel today, you would never guess that that was his background. Um, he's somebody that found healing and happiness and purpose. And, and now he works like diligently sharing uh, the message of hope beyond trauma through guided ayahuasca therapy the stuff that fires me up i love <laughs> i love hearing like you wouldn't recognize this person or you'd never guess that this is what they used to be into because it i think those juxtapositions of sort of before after can be incredibly useful in that they can light light a path for people who are maybe in it right now for that other person that's listening it might be homeless or that person who is addicted to drugs they may see that and go wait that person did what huh well if they can do it maybe i maybe i can do it kind of lets the first crack of light in absolutely i I think it's um we have this culture that really glorifies uh the instant apparent happiness of a person based on on a snapshot caught in time Um, And that snapshot can be altered in in innumerable ways. And yet we accept it as reality. We accept it as happiness and we strive to recreate it in ourselves. Um, And that can be like incredibly damaging. That entire lifestyle can be incredibly damaging. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, there, I mean, there are real like effective solutions to come back from a lifetime of, of chasing that, of feeling that strange disconnect that happens when you're not really reflecting what you, what your hard work seems like you should. Um, or when, you know, you, you finally, um, you know, when I was the most, there've been two times in my life that I was really suicidal. The first was when I was getting ready to graduate from Georgetown University. And like on paper, I looked like this awesome transitioned Marine. 
and in reality, um, you know, I was suffering through a divorce and my grandfather had recently died and mm. um, I had been in foster care before the military. So it was like I was losing all these support structures simultaneously. And I was supposed to be getting this, um, you know, this piece of paper that says, hey, you're doing great. Life is all right. It's all up and up. And I never felt more disconnected and down. And there's a sort of freedom that comes with, you know, really deciding that you're going to kill yourself. Mm. And it's almost like, I don't know, I can't speak for other people, but you're mm. almost, you're a bit giddy. You're like, it's finally decided. Mm. Um, and it took a series of improbable actions to bring me to even a place where I would consider psychedelics. Mm -hmm. um, but they were, each of the people that brought me along that path were absolutely profound. The first person that made me question my decision to, to kill myself was a guy that was suffering from stage four pancreatic cancer. And I asked him, like, why are you even talking to me? Like, why are you even spending time talking to me right now? Why aren't you mm -hmm. with your family? Um, and because he kind of, in a lot of ways, represented this this ideal that I never had. He was like an an officer. He had a, a happy wife and two kids. And yeah, he got cancer and that sucks. But up until that point, he was really winning. Um, and I was like, you know, why aren't you there with them? And this is what made him a real leader and, and somebody that changed my life. He said, I don't choose how I dive, but I choose every day how I live. And so I sort of started thinking to myself, maybe I have another mission here. Yeah. Um, and it took me another six years of, <clears throat> honestly, fear. I was afraid to, to make the leap to go to Peru. There mm -hmm. wasn't a lot of solid research, which is why I've gone out of my way to make sure that Veterans of War has its research cited and shows yeah. exactly why we do what we do. It's not just, um, you know, it's been thought through. Um, we absolutely try to adhere to the American Psychological Association's three recognized approaches to overcoming PTSD, specifically psychopharmacology, psychotherapy, uh, th psychotherapy education, and support, um, which you'll notice are, are built into our platform outright for the fellowships. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I mean, these these parts of of the I think the real trauma that we all carry can be in, in meaningful ways um, reprogrammed to service us. Mm -hmm. uh, instead of being a weight, they can be something that actually provides a value. Absolutely. I, I find it funny. I think my story is almost exactly six years since I discovered ayahuasca before I went and first did it so much resistance and so much just i think at the core too there's a certain amount of me that that perhaps felt if this was the answer then i would feel stupid for having been wrong for so long right and once i dispensed with that paradigm i mean everything changed it was a hundred percent different it's just similar story to yours i had it's it's weird because um, there, there was a real moment of resonance. Um, my grandfather, um, you know, he served and in foster care, you know, he, he just kind of, he looked out for me and he would tell stories about Korea and, and, you know, it was like in a way those stories kind of lived on as long as, you know, he was around to tell them. And, um, there was this moment where he said to me, you know, how much does your rifle weigh? And when I answered him back, he's like, no, it doesn't. And I didn't understand what he meant hmm. um, for years. And, you know, after he died, that, that became crystal clear. Like you could absolutely know the weight of your rifle, but you don't really know until you carry it, hmm. what the weight of your rifle is. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that there are, um, there was an in absolute point of resonance between that moment of six years of um, research and then having that cup up to your mouth and knowing that the second that you open your mouth and this goes down the hatch, like a whole new world is about there to happen. We go. <laughs> like you can't, there's no getting off this ride. Right. 
Um, so yeah, there was certainly that moment of resonance where I was like, Ooh, things are changing here this very moment. And now, now every time that I have a ceremony, just like you, I absolutely know and, you know, obviously agree to the weight of the cup. Yeah. You don't know the weight of the cup until you've had it. Absolutely. It does in English well. Isn't that what <laughs> Terrence McKenna said? Exactly. Like, yeah. There's an old Buddhist proverb that to what your grandfather said, you don't know the weight of the gun until you've had to carry it. Yeah. The the Buddhist proverb is there's an old Zen master sitting and looking out and he has a couple students there and he goes, how much does that rock weigh over there? And they go, you know, 10 pounds, whatever. They say what it weighs. And he goes, it doesn't weigh anything if you never pick it up. Yeah, that's and good. I never heard that. Hit home for me. I'm like, oh, man, how much shit do we carry around? And we never allow ourselves to put it down and never allow ourselves to let it go. Yeah, that's really good. I really, I really love finding treasure troves of, of hidden knowledge that are tucked away in those sort of idioms that are carried down by each, you know, group of people. Uh, I think my favorite of the, um, the Buddhist ones that I heard was, is like of a similar vein and, um, so the the master is blind and he ducks under a branch and then the, the apprentice says master how did you see that branch and he says uh how didn't you mm-hmm. and you know it's like oh wow <laughs> it implies like you know several different layers of ways yeah. he could have that information no doubt i love that yeah i think so circle back a little bit i think with some of the work that you're doing, there's, I'm hoping, and I'm sure you probably feel some of the same thing, but it feels to me as if this time, except for the coronavirus thing, but this time, let's say in the last five years and really in the last like two to three years, I'm becoming increasingly confident that we are headed in the right direction with this stuff. And I'm seeing places like Oakland, places like portland places like san francisco now i think as well just like chicago dc denver yeah going the decriminalization route and i i really the thing i love about that is as enough of those dominoes start to topple it sends a message like hey whatever the federal government wants to do with this stuff we as our autonomous states and autonomous cities are choosing this and I think once enough of those dominoes start to go, it really starts to send a wake-up call like, okay, we have to reconsider it because either every city that's doing this is stupid, which is not the case, or something's going on here. Well, I think that's ultimately the goal, right? Like enough people experience this and they realize for themselves, um, you know, that there is a, an acceptable and beautiful life beyond the veil, right? Mm-hmm. Like once you cross the threshold and, and you realize the interconnectivity of all of us, um, it becomes a, a beautiful sharing of information and opportunities. Um, whereas before, you know, it might have been something where people might have been afraid or, 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 or guarded. Um, ultimately, I think we're here to enhance each other and, yeah. and to grow each other. And I, I really hope that through the programming at Veterans of War that we not just save lives but as we were saying earlier that those lives go home and and they change families and those families um, change communities and that those communities uh, change the narrative because i i think that the message as soon as you experience it is one that's hard to deny absolutely i i I really resonate with that and i think one of the reasons i've been drawn so strongly to psychedelics as a lever to pull is I really do think, as you stated earlier, the current sense of disconnectedness that is permeating our culture and many cultures around the world, the the sicknesses we're seeing, and not just psychological sicknesses, but ecological sicknesses, are a direct result of that disconnectedness. And as we can increase people's connectedness, man, the people I know who have done ayahuasca a few times are a lot more environmentally conscious than the people who haven't. And the people who I know who have gone and 
done psilocybin are a lot more aware of being kind to each other. So I just think it, it's the biggest lever, in my opinion, that can be pulled right now for a multitude of issues because it makes people, if you're connected to your community, you're connected to the world around you, you don't want to harm anything. It's only in that state of disconnectedness that we cause all of these problems by not being a part of it. Yeah, and it's, a, it's an incredible opportunity to reconnect. I mean, ultimately, I, I don't think that, um, you know, ayahuasca or, or ibogaine or, or uh, psilocybin or MDMA or any of these chemicals um, represent a state that we couldn't attain uh, with training and meditation or, or perhaps, you know, tantric dancing around a mm-hmm. fire. Um, I, I think that they do offer an incredibly um, interesting backdoor into yeah. this place that, that we as a culture, as you absolutely said, need to reconnect with. Um, I think that our survival through, through you know, the times ahead it may rely powerfully on how well we understand and interact um, with this part of our, uh, of our culture yeah. that's been growing with us since we've been recording time. Absolutely. And potentially even causing us to be humans in the first place. Yeah, I mean, depending <laughs> on your school of thought, there certainly are people that believe that. Yeah, I think it, it's a it's a very interesting time to be living through. I'm happy I'm alive at this very moment because it is a time when some of these things are shifting and falling away and some new, some new fresh land is hopefully very fertile from the fires that have been burning for a long time. And hopefully in that fertility, we can see a growth of some of these new ideas of connectedness and community because it is, I mean, you see it. I'm, I've sat in ceremony with some of my friends and it's just like, there is nothing better. Like, I don't want to be at the bar having 10 beers when I could be in ceremony with my friends. Like, it's this deep connectedness and it bonds you so much better. So it's a... And imagine that group of friends now following you for the next portion of your life. And right. also not just being connected with you in that very real way, but like invested in your growth. Mm. and actively wanting to see how you have interacted with these new realities and these new truths. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, we're tribal by nature, humans. I think that we, um, the successful institutions recreate some of those tribal instincts, I think. And the military is certainly one of the more um, robust and successful institutions. Um, and, and ultimately, I, I hope to do the same thing. I, I think that once veterans... Um, come through our programs and, and find access. And if it's not through us, if it's through any of the other organizations that are, that are also offering similar um, access um, that find it's in a, in a safe and guided way, I think it can be tremendously beneficial, uh, life-saving, life-changing, um, you know, regardless of where you come from or your, your background or um, most people just flat out say that it was one of the most profound experiences of their entire lives. Um, and if, if that doesn't stir your call to action or your, your want to reconnect with the inner warrior within, I don't know what will. Yeah. I think it's a, I think I heard Jocko Willink say this, but someone asked him like, do you miss being in combat? And he was like, yes. And the interviewer was just like taken aback. Like, wait, what? You miss that? And he went on to elaborate that he missed the deep sense of connectedness with his brothers in battle. And I think through psychedelics, there is a different avenue in a much different way, granted, to do a deeply transformative and difficult often experience with a band of brothers or sisters and to come out the other side with these same types of deep bonds without some of the negative consequences that war obviously has. Right. Uh, to build positive support structures. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's, that's, I mean, it, it seems like a no brainer when you say it out loud, of course that would work. <laughs> right. Um, and, and ultimately um, I think that the proof's going to be in the pudding. I'm, I'm really excited for um, fire team alpha eventually shooting out. Um, we, have great partners and um, also, you know, anybody that's looking to support us, veteransofwar.org slash donate. 
Um, and we are obviously a 501c3. Awesome. Well, sweet. I think that brings us close to the end here. I was going to ask you, what's the thing you're most excited about now? Um, which you can I, still answer if you want. What's the thing that's like lighting your fire and waking you up every morning? I think uh, getting to connect with groups of veterans that now more than ever need that connection and mm. um, need that reassurance that not only are things going to get better, but we've got a plan in place to, to help make sure that that happens. Awesome. Well, Wiley, thank you for being on and not just for being on, but at the end of every podcast, I like to take a second to honor my guest. So thank you for the deep and important work that you are doing and that you have both. You are not only talking the talk of doing this, but you have walked this path yourself first in an effort to understand, to grow and to heal yourself. And it's incredibly inspiring to see how you are then bringing the medicine that you have brought internally to you out to the people who are maybe similar to how you were and you're providing for them. So I just want to honor you for that and say thank you for the work you do. Thank you so much, Alex. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, reach out to my fellow brothers and sisters. And um, I really appreciate your work here as well, bringing a, a light to some of these dark places. Beautiful. And one more time, where can people find you? Where are the best places to connect? Veteransofwar.org. Uh, you can always look us up on Instagram, Twitter, or any of our social media handles, but veteransofwar.org. Awesome. Well, thank you for being on and we'll talk soon. Thanks for having me again. All right. So that's it for that episode. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find Wiley and Veterans of War at www.veteransofwar.org. I really recommend going and checking out their website. There's a ton of great resources, especially if you are a veteran who is suffering from depression, PTSD, or anxiety. These can be a great resource to connect with fellow brothers in arms who experienced a similar thing and to potentially get some healing out in the end. So I hope you all enjoyed this one. If you did, a five-star rating or a review left on iTunes really means a lot and helps spread the show. As always, you could find me at my website, www.throughtheveil.co. Without more of me, let's go ahead and just end the episode right here. I hope you all have a wonderful week, and I will talk to you soon.